Welcome to the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast with your hosts, Matthew Betts and Matt Okada. What is up, Red Shirts? It is a new decade. It is 2020. I don't know how this is possible. I saw a post recently that said 1990, which is the year before I was born, is as close to now as 2050, which is true and horrific. That is weird. It is very weird. Uh, but welcome to 2020 and to a uh, episode of the podcast that we haven't had for a little bit because the season ended. Uh, hopefully you all won your championships and none of you were playing in week 17 when we didn't do a podcast because shame on anyone who does that. Uh, I'm Matt Okada. I have with me Matthew Betts. Betts, how are you doing in this new decade? Uh, I'm doing great, man. I feel like I haven't talked to you in months, even though it's only been like two weeks. Uh, we took the week off for the holidays uh, and for New Year's, so uh, I feel refreshed, energized. Uh, I'm ready to go, man. I'm excited to have our guest on today. Ooh, very true. Whatever we may lack in, you know, uh, experience from the last two weeks being off, we may have completely forgotten how to do things. We have a very talented guest coming in to help make up for that. Uh, this is Ben Heisler. With a soft S, as we discussed before the podcast, because I'm not trying to say people's names wrong. Uh, ben, could you introduce yourself, tell our listeners what you have done, what you do do, uh, and uh, what you bring? Wow. There's a, there's a lot going on here. And first of all, it's good to be with you guys. Happy 2020. You're right. Like We were able to combine technology and, and make the forces everything come together so yeah uh it's ben heisler uh you can follow me on the tweet machine at benny heiss uh i was fortunate enough the last few years to be the, de- the uh, director of media operations over for a, D- a uh, dfs startup called fantasy sports markets which was sort of a variation off of DraftKings and FanDuel, where we were doing non-salary cap dfs with uh, bonus structures in the hundreds of thousands for NFL contests if you picked a perfect roster. Uh, so the nice part was that, you know, you weren't going up against hundreds of thousands of people to try and win a million dollars. You could win 100K if you chose a perfect roster with a quarterback and a couple running backs and wide receivers that you had access to. You know, there wasn't any salary caps that were getting in the way. So it was a lot of fun. Unfortunately, uh, we weren't able to uh, sustain towards the the back end, and I'm currently a free agent. But before that, was doing a lot of radio in the Kansas City area. I uh, was hosting Fantasy Football Sunday. was also part of the uh, afternoon drive show here in KC. And now it's uh, on to, to bigger and better things, including the Richards Fantasy Podcast. Love it. Well, I don't know about bigger or better, but it is certainly a thing. Um, yeah, we climbing. Uh, climbing. <laughs> we wanted to bring Ben on uh, because of his expertise in the DFS background, especially since, as you have all heard me say many, many times, I am officially banned from playing DFS because I work for the NFL and it's a conflict of interest. Uh, and so I know nothing, or at least I <laughs> pretend to know nothing. Uh, and so we needed an extra voice of knowledge, uh, and that is Ben. So I will be mostly hosting and letting these two wise gentlemen speak. Uh, but before we get into that, if you do not yet follow us on social media, it is 
as we have said, a whole new decade. So that sounds like a great time to start doing it. New Year's resolution, follow the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast on all platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's Red Shirts FF Pod at all those places. You can check out RedShirtsFantasyFootball.com. Uh, there's going to be, there are not now because the season's over and there's no more weekly articles, but there are going to be dynasty articles starting to come out in the not too distant future. We are going to be heading into draft season shortly after playoffs and it's going to get crazy. Probably one of my favorite times of year bets. I don't know about you. Yeah. I love this time where we enter like the, it almost feels like the dead zone, but at the same time, there's so much to unpack from the season that was. Make some dynasty offers. Go buy some AJ Brown. Um, all that good stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I would be doing that if I hadn't already done it. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, let's do a quick round of news, and then we'll get into the playoff playoffs. I got great news, guys. All righty. Let's start it off with a couple bits of coaching news. You have probably heard one mentioned several times. That would be Ron Rivera being hired as the head coach of the Redskins. Um, no longer interim Bill Callahan or previous Jay Gruden. It is going to be Ron Rivera. He did not stay on the open market very long after being fired by the Panthers. Obviously, this organization is not the most functional in many ways. Do you guys feel like Ron Rivera can turn things around a little bit? And what might it mean for some of the fantasy assets there? Ben, I'll kick it to you first. So first of all, I think uh, we can all determine that Ron Rivera is going to be hosting Thanksgiving uh, at his house for the next five seasons. <laughs> oh, that was what a fantastic lead-in uh, by Daniel Snyder. I, I wouldn't expect anything less. That was amazing. Um, you know, we're, we're you, Matthew and I were having a conversation before we got started about the Cleveland head coaching job search. And I'm sure we might get to that in just a little bit. But the idea of kind of having an adult in the room and, and Ron Rivera is that everybody out of the, the Carolina locker room had talked about the presence that he had in the locker room. Um, the fact that he actually truly respected, you know, the players that played for him. There, there really wasn't anything bad to say, even from a schematic perspective. And he made some bad decisions, especially over the final few years. You know, I think about that, that play with Cam Newton at the end of, of week two, where they ran, uh, you know, he sort of moved off to the side and they had Christian McCaffrey from the goal line try to go on to the outside. They ended up losing that game. You just thought Cam Newton, 6'5", 250 pounds, he should just run it in. But it was evident from that point forward that he was hurt. So I, I think he brings just sort of an adult figure in the room that is going to bring in Jack Del Rio that's going to help shore up the, a defense that was pretty good the second half of the season. Um, and I just hope he brings in someone with a similar mindset to, to the offense that he ran where they can really take advantage uh, of, a, of a strong running game like he had in, in North Turner's system. Uh, over in Carolina. Uh, Terry McLaurin is just an absolute stud, and we saw the emergence of Sims as well uh, the final three, four games of the season. I, I don't know what to make of Dwayne Haskins yet. I don't know how you guys feel about it. It's still too early for me. Um, yeah, I was kind of hoping to see more of a back and forth between him and McLaren down the stretch, but uh, they get guys healthy. Uh, if McLaren takes another step in the right direction, they figure out something at the tight end spot. Uh, I, I think the offense does have some potential fantasy value, maybe in bits and pieces. Yeah, bets. It seems like probably Haskins is the big question here. Obviously, the offense is going to be running through him for at least a year or two, unless they he's so it continues to be so bad that they have to move on. But for now, they're certainly going to try it. We saw Rivera develop a very very different first round draft pick in Cam Newton. Totally different styles, obviously, 
But do you think he can do something similar? And do you think that this brings any better hopes for for Dwayne Haskins down the line? Yeah, I definitely am with you guys. Like, I'm not out on Haskins by any means at this point. It's still too early in his career. Uh, obviously, as Ben alluded to and Okada, you alluded to, the franchise in general was kind of in shambles there for a little while. And I think Ron Rivera brings leadership. I think he'll bring an opportunity for Haskins to develop. You know, Ben, you touched on it with Terry McLaurin uh, being there. I also kind of like Steven Sims as like a sneaky dynasty ad for free maybe right now on waiver wires or, or give a late round pick. Um, obviously, Darius Geis has had his concerns, but I think if they can get one or two more pieces in there, shore up the offensive line, like there's some good pieces in play here. I'm definitely not out on Haskins yet. We'll see what happens this year. Yeah, and one, I think, sneakily underrated potential uh, solution that Ron Rivera could bring, maybe, is a kind of a low chance, but if he can talk Trent Williams into coming back and playing for the Redskins, you get an elite left tackle that they have not had. And there are not many guys I could, I would imagine could do that because he hates Snyder and the organization, but Rivera may be one of them. So if they, if he can sit down with Trent Williams, get into kind of the table and get that left tackle back, that's a huge boost for everybody. So, uh, let's move on to <laughs> the opposite sort of direction for a coach. The the firing we were all waiting for, it took so much longer than it needed to. Holy mackerel. Working at the NFL Network, we were holding our breath every day because as soon as this happened, we would go into a you know, maniacal freakout. Jason Garrett out as the Dallas Cowboys head coach. It happened late last night. Yeah, last night. Uh, but it, it's finally over. The Jason Garrett era is over. It was uh, rife with failure. Um, and they're going to be headed in a new direction. We don't know what direction yet. I don't think we've even heard about any interviews yet, unless you guys have. Um, let's see. Bets, I'll throw it to you with this first. Do you have any hesitation about this being a good move? <laughs> God, no. Okay. <laughs> well, that covers that. That is uh, the easiest question you're going to ask all day, Okada. This, this needed to be done. I mean, it was time. Uh, everyone was calling for him to, you know, step down. And obviously, um, just with what the offense and the team in general, the way they're trending was not good. So, yeah, a change needed to be done there in Dallas. We'll see what they do. Uh, I imagine he'll still be somewhere in the front row of the stadium clapping with his <laughs> blade hands. Uh, <laughs> All the clapping. <laughs> ben, uh, let me ask you this question. In fact, I'll open it up a little bit to the Browns as well, because I think that's the, one of the other most interesting vacancies. As far as who to get for this job, and if you have a, a, an interesting idea for the Browns as well, does anyone stand out to you that could really help? Because this Cowboys team, unlike the Redskins, is one that certainly seems like a head coach from away from you know elite uh, playoff potential and Super Bowl potential. So do you have any uh, eyes on the prize for a coach here? You know, I'd, my, I, I think somebody that I would actually appreciate there. Um, I, you know, I'm in, in the Kansas City area, so I, I know Eric Bieniemy well. And I think that would be an intriguing hire had they not gone from, gone from the structure of we're going to give the head coach all the power here. I, I don't think Bieniemy goes in having not called plays for Andy Reid to go in and have the final say. I don't know if that necessarily makes sense anymore. Um, you know, Josh McDaniel's name has been floated around. Kevin Stefanski's name as well. Um, you know, guys that stress a lot of play action that I think could work for, for Baker Mayfield, especially with how good their running game has been. Um, I think that could open up a lot. Um, and the guy that I would obviously like 
would be Todd Monken, who's already in the building. I don't know if he got let go as well, uh, but he was the offensive coordinator for Cleveland and basically from all accounts was trying to tell Freddie Kitchens, let me help you. Let me move this offense in an actual positive direction. And Freddie Kitchens wanted none of that. If you look at the numbers that, you know, Tampa quarterbacks put up, the, the combination of, of Jameis and Fitzpatrick from the year before in Tampa, they were pretty impressive. And that's a guy with a downfield mindset that I think could work. That's been in the league for a long time. So he'd be an intriguing name from, from my standpoint, but I, I just don't know if he has the experience that they're, they're looking for. So I don't know if there's necessarily a good correlation right now between available candidates for Cleveland that can move that offense in the right direction, but that can also have a a pretty commanding grasp of the locker room too. I don't know where they go. Yeah. I think that, I think that's a pretty good way of summing it all up. I will ask this one quick question because from a leadership standpoint, it seems like one guy who might potentially be an option is Mike McCarthy, since he actually has experience, a lot of experience and winning experience as a head coach. We saw him ousted from green Bay because his offense got stale. Do you guys think that he can or he has studied a little bit in his year off and can put together something more effective if he gets hired again i'd be really surprised um because every 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 indication that we've gotten that you think about you know this is something matthew and i were talking about beforehand um Aaron Rodgers did not respect Mike McCarthy nope. at all. And that's been said well he was documented. Dumb. Said he was dumb. Said he was getting <laughs> massages or something while the rest of the team was trying to wait for him on practice. Just everything coming out of that situation was not good. So now if you bring Mike McCarthy in, even with his Super Bowl ring, and he can go and stand in front of Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham and Nick Chubb and say, here's my Super Bowl ring. You can kiss the ring, whatever you want to do. But Aaron Rodgers record is going to hold true with Baker Mayfield probably more than anybody else. Like that's a dude that Baker respects. So if this guy is coming in and Aaron Rodgers has basically told the world that he's a clown, why would Baker Mayfield go ahead and entrust him at that point? Yes, the experience is there. And yes, he knows how to run a locker room for several years, but uh, Baker wants someone that's going to push him and test him. And I guess if we're looking at one other name, like could Cleveland actually consider going the Lincoln Riley route? We talked about him in Dallas that maybe Jerry Jones would be willing to pay him, but maybe that's a name that especially from the top down, you would have respect from everybody in that locker room. I like it. Uh, out of curiosity, did you guys see the mic'd up clip of Freddie kitchen scratching Baker Mayfield's beard and then, and then him calling him an idiot. Oh my gosh. Search it. Please tweet that out when we're done. Yeah, was, that from la- will, was that from last year or, or when was Kitchens from, was the offensive coordinator? I believe it was from this year because I just saw it recently, but it could have been. But basically okay. he goes up and like scratches Baker under the beard. It's super weird and says some stuff. And then when he walks away, Baker <laughs> leans over to whoever's sitting next to him and says, guy's an idiot. <laughs> I think that might have been from when Kitchens took over when um, yeah, after, after Hugh Jackson was after Hugh Jackson could got be. fired. But but you. I'd have to double check that. So I think I think that was when their their relationship was fun and, and well balanced. Apparently, that's um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, one last little bit of news uh, hitting on the Colts really quick. Uh, two things: one, receiver Zach Pascal signed to a one year extension. Uh, two, Jacoby Brissett not so much yet. Uh, the jury is out. Is the wording that was used. Um, as to whether he will be the long-term answer at QB. They pick 13th overall. The QB free agency market is, I would not say great. Uh, Betts, I'll, st- I'll kick it to you. What do you expect at the QB position for this team? 
Yeah, I mean, there's been rumors that they're linked potentially to Phillip Rivers if, if the Chargers do in fact move on, which I think they should and probably will do. Um, but to me, that's not the right move. Like this, it's time to to see if you have a quarterback of the future in Jacoby Brissett, and clearly they don't think that they do or else they wouldn't be saying this kind of thing. And I think they go some some route in the draft to address this position, see if they can give Brissett some competition, maybe with a, a first or second third round potentially quarterback and see what they can do there. I don't think free agency is the way to go personally, but um, I think Brissett's played better than he's been given credit for. I think he can be good enough in this league, probably a middle tier type of quarterback to get an offense moving down the field. But certainly I don't think he's going to go out and win you a game uh, the way the elite quarterbacks are in this league. So I understand that they're they're ready to kind of see what else is out there, but I, I don't think it's in free agency personally. Uh, Ben, any disagreement there? Are you kind of are you kind of more in on Jacoby Brissett? Do you think he can be a franchise QB, or is moving away from him probably the right decision? Yeah, I I don't know if it's necessarily. I don't think they have to move away from him quickly. Like they had the short term contract, and and by the way, kudos to Chris Ballard for actually using his platform as a general manager to address the media, address the fan base, um, and and tell them the truth. You know, that he didn't do a good enough job this year uh, in evaluating depth in the organization, that uh, he's not sure uh, on what's going to happen with the future at the quarterback position. He's not throwing anybody under the bus. I mean, he's giving, holding himself accountable. And, and this is from the perspective of, uh, you know, a Chicago Bears fan and myself who saw Ryan Pace anoint Mitchell Trubisky after doing nothing to earn the starting <laughs> position. Um <laughs> to already go ahead and, and claim him to be the starter and say that they were, you know, in an in injury plague season and just blatantly lying to the fan base. And that's upsetting from a number of different perspectives. But um, I, I think Brissett is fine. You know, the first half of the season, I think after through games, what five and six, he was leading the NFL in touchdowns and obviously got passed up a little bit later on, but uh, he's sort of that middle to bottom tier quarterback, you know, an elite level backup, certainly, um, and a guy that you can rely on if you need to for a handful of games. But, you know, the Colts are, are, are a young team with a few veteran pieces, but especially with a really good offensive line, you want to try and build around those guys as quickly as possible. Um, but I don't think Brissett is necessarily that guy. I think you can keep it around. I, I think you can you can do some nice things for you, but I don't necessarily look at him as a franchise quarterback. Yeah. I think it's a pretty fair summary, um, uh, and I don't know if they go draft the draft route and try to get someone young and keep Jacoby for a year to transition. I think that might be the a, a smart move, or if they try to get someone in free agency, a veteran guy like like Beth said, of Philip Rivers. There are a good amount of veterans, that even a Josh McCown can you know be a useful guy in there if they do move on from Jacoby and need a bridge quarterback. But um, all right, really quickly, well, one one thing yes. to consider on Jacoby Brissett. I'm just I'm looking at through his, his game log this year. Through through week seven, he had 14 touchdowns. He ended up um, he ended up with 18 on the season. So that second half was a pretty vociferous drop off uh, for Brissett. So again, especially with that type of taste in your mouth, the Colts were hanging around for a while. I do think they need to make a, another run in a different direction. Yeah, a hundred percent, and their record definitely reflected his performances. And no I doubt. think I think that that kind of puts a nail in a coffin a little bit um all right well let's head over to the playoffs uh before we get there one quick word from our sponsor is trophy smack listen guys the championships are now concluded which means you know who won the trophy and either it was you or you are in a league with a commissioner maybe you are the commissioner and you know that this league deserves a great trophy because one day you are going to win it 
So what you need to do is you need to go to trophysmack.com because holy mackerel, their trophy is amazing. They have every different kind, uh, every different topper, every different design that you could possibly dream of. Uh, even trophies for things like winning last place, which we all know is fun. Um, and if you go and buy a trophy there, you will get a free ring. A free championship ring encrusted with real diamonds. Jake, just kidding. Oh, they're not, they're they're not so real, real diamonds. Oh, speaking of which, uh, Betts, I'm sure, is working on sending out the championship ring to not me because I lost in the championship. Yeah, so happy about that. Yeah. Uh, but it is amazing. It is super cool. You get the you get an entirely free ring if you buy one of these trophies and use code REDSHIRTS on the site, trophysmack.com. Do it. It is amazing. Uh and get yourself some bling. All right. Let's get into some playoffs, guys. Let's do some some DFSing. Let's let you guys do some betting, and I will sit here and listen and wish that I could. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll just go through these games one by one. We, we only have four games on the slate this week, obviously, so there is plenty of time to talk about each. We'll get into the, uh, each position a little bit, probably. Um, let you guys pick some of your, your target guys in DFS. Talk some props for the games. Uh, and just give uh, our listeners as much info as we can as we head into Wild Card Weekend, which is going to be fun. So, let's kick it off with the Bills at the Texans. Feels like a couple of young teams, you know, that haven't had much playoff success recently. Particularly the Bills, they haven't won in 24 years, I believe. Uh, a single playoff game. This is going to be an interesting one. Uh, lots of talent on both sides of the ball. Uh, one of the biggest question marks, I think, is Will Fuller game time decision. So I'm interested to, to see what your guys' strategies might be there. But Betts, let's kick it off. Uh, kick it off with you. Take it any direction you want. What what is the what is the most important thing you want <laughs> listeners to know? Starting out of the gate, Bills Texans. Careful what you wish for, Okada. Oh gosh, <laughs> I will take this podcast <laughs> off the rails if it's the last thing I do. Uh, no, I think we should start with Will Fuller because that's a that's a big discussion point for this game, and, and we know. You know, the value that he brings to this offense, just from a real-life NFL perspective, stretching the field, making the defense honor uh, the deep ball, and really give Deshaun Watson an elevated passing attack. And, and honestly, I don't think he plays. I mean, all week the, the sentiment has been he probably will play. News comes out yesterday, that's on Thursday, that it looks like he's not going to play. And, and honestly, even if he's active, you know, if you're looking at like a cash lineup, for me, there's no way Will Fuller can be in your lineup. I mean, the dude has just been injury-riddled all year. Okada, you and I talked about it in draft season, the ACL surgery, now the hamstring, now the groin. I mean, there's no way he's going to stay healthy. So I think what you look at there is how does this really affect Deshaun Watson's ceiling? For me, I think it comes down a significant amount. I think it affects the game total a significant amount. And for me, if I was a Deshaun Watson uh, owner, if I was going to play Deshaun Watson this weekend, certainly I'd be way more excited about it if Will Fuller was in the lineup. For sure. Over-under, by the way, set at 44 with the Texans favored by three. Uh, ben, I, I certainly don't disagree with Betts' analysis of that offense. The defense on the Bills' side of the ball, also very good. The Texans' defense, not so much. So do you kind of lean maybe towards the Bills' offense a little bit here uh, as an alternate to some of these uh, guys on the Houston side? I, I think I do. Um, and just going back to Will Fuller, there was a really good stat that was pulled up by uh, by Ian Harditz of, of Roto World that Deshaun Watson is averaging about 8.69 yards per attempt and a 7.1% touchdown rate in 22 games with Fuller in the lineup. 
without him, that number from goes from 8.69 down to 6.99. So almost a difference of, of two yards per attempt. And the touchdown rate goes down from seven from 7.1% to 3.9%. So there's a pretty Ooh. major drop-off over the course of, of, of where things go uh, without Will Fuller in the lineup. He just stretches out the defense so much. Um, you know, Tredavious White can lock down one guy and hang around DeAndre Hopkins for quite some time. But when you have somebody else like Will Fuller in the mix, it just opens up the offense a ton. Um, but but going back to your point about Buffalo's offense, I do think there's some sneaky potential here uh, with Josh Allen against uh, uh, a Texans defense that has gotten gashed uh, in the running game uh, in deep passing plays. And that's kind of what Josh Allen does well, right? I, I think a lot of people are just scared to play Bills in the playoffs, considering that they're on the road, considering that Deshaun Watson can light up the, the scoreboard on the other side of the ball. Um, and I think you're going to get low ownership because the total is sitting at 44, even though that total has actually gone up from 41 and a half when it first opened. So uh, a pretty significant move on the line by about two and a half points. So I think somebody like Josh Allen is a really intriguing uh, tournament play. Uh, amongst say, elite level quarterbacks like Breeze and Russell Wilson that are probably going to be the, the heaviest own, maybe Deshaun Watson as well. Uh, John Brown, I think, is a really interesting play. Cole Beasley might be under the radar as well. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into Devin Singletary as well uh, as a really strong play this week. He'll be popular, uh, but I think there are a lot of uh, solid plays from the Bills' side. I just don't think that a lot of common fans are going to want to play them because they'll see the Bills, they'll see the inconsistencies. And one final thought, you brought up the, the last time the Bills won a playoff game uh, was 24 years ago. My buddy Brent Axe, who does a show uh, over in ESPN Syracuse and is a big Buffalo Bills fan, said the number one song at the time, the last time the Buffalo Bills won a playoff game, Coolio's Gangsta's Paradise was the number one song at the time. So it has been a long time since the Bills have circled a wagon and won a playoff game. Where did you say that he worked? He's at ESPN Syracuse, uh, but he's a, he's a big Buffalo Bills fan. So they have the New York connection. Whoops. Uh, coming on from, from all different types of areas. But yeah, that's, oh. that's a hell of a stat that he pulled. This week. <laughs> okay. So I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that he got that from me. Really? No. Yes. Did you did you tweet that earlier? So here here's the thing. I I wrote this game or more than half of this game for our network. We write these research notes every week. And I put together a notes a little notes board of the world <laughs> in the state of the world the last time the Bills won. Josh Allen was still in the womb. Uh there was like four <laughs> Hall of Famers playing for the Bills and I put on there the number one song was Coolio's Gangsta's Paradise and the number one movie was Toy Story and our notes get sent out to almost every other major network which would include ESPN so there's a very very good chance he got that from me That's wow. awesome. All right, yeah. I'll have to awesome. I'll have to call him out saying that uh, It could be a coincidence but that. maybe I don't know there's only one way to find out I'll have to call him out and see. Uh well, that's some hard-hitting analysis from all of us. <laughs> uh, back to football. Okay, I do have one major question, Bets. Hit me. Without Will Fuller, we, we know that Deshaun Watson's value drops. What do you do with DeAndre Hopkins and maybe also with Kenny Stills, especially considering Tredavious White on the other side of the ball, this Bills defense, the best in the league against deep passing, which is one of the places that Deshaun Watson and the Texans thrive, uh, how much do those guys drop for you? How willing are you to play DeAndre Hopkins in this uh, game? Yeah, I think DeAndre Hopkins, people are going to be a little scared of playing him because of the matchup with White. But I mean, in games without Will Fuller, it's ridiculous. The target share that DeAndre Hopkins sees, he has seen 11 plus in every single game without Will Fuller. So uh, volume will be there. I think he'll do enough 
to uh to be viable in, in fantasy and for DFS. Certainly it's DeAndre Hopkins, certainly we know the ceiling with him, but this Bills defense, like you said, the way you beat them is on the ground. It's with short passing. So can DeAndre Hopkins go, you know, seven for eighty yards? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think we see a blow up massive game though for him against this defense. And for Kenny Stills, man, like I feel like all year I've been ready for Kenny Stills with Will Fuller out of the lineup to do his thing. And he has not topped, what is it, like 60 yards without Will Fuller in the lineup. And ironically, he's been better with Fuller in the lineup because when that happens, he moves inside to play in the slot. So I don't think this is a Kenny Stills game. There's no way I'm playing him. I think Dodger Hopkins is fine. Certainly, I prefer other options, though. I like it. Um, running back situation, not necessarily anybody elite here. Uh, do you guys have a preference? Oh, I disagree. Oh, I disagree. okay, Beth. What do you got? Devin Singletary Ooh. is one of my favorite plays this week. Ben's I shaking like his it. head, so I know he likes that. Uh, currently, the over-under on his rushing yards, on this is on DraftKings, is 63.5. I will be hammering the over on that, and I've already placed the bet, actually. So, um, <laughs> I love... Dude, I love this matchup for Singletary. I, I tweeted out a couple of stats in regards to it, and, and I'll go right back to it, but I just love the trend, right? So, you look at Week 16. Um, Buffalo completely gets rid of Frank Gore. He plays two snaps. Singletary's out there on 96% of the snaps. Week 17, Frank Gore is out there with the freaking backups playing against Scrubs in a game that doesn't even matter. Singletary gets a healthy scratch. And now you look at the Houston defense, a team that gives up a ton of production through the ground, almost five yards per carry over the last nine games, second most receiving yards to running backs. I love Devin Singletary this week. All the Devin Singletary. Whew. And and his price, too. I mean, just 6K on, on DraftKings is certainly an appeal for me. Uh, ben, what do you think about that? Yeah, it, it's a really good call. I like the price point, especially on DraftKings as well, going up against Houston in a game that they're going to need him. Uh, it's really helped set the tone fairly early. I, I think you brought up a really good point. Um, not playing in week 17 and giving him the rest that he needs because he was getting plenty of volume um, really starting in the second half of the season. Uh, from my guy Derek Brown over at the Quan Edge, he wrote that from weeks 9 through 16, uh, Singletary was fifth in rushing attempts and sixth in rushing yards amongst all running backs in the NFL, uh, and also got a ton of red zone rushing attempts as well. And that's with a team that has somebody like Josh Allen, especially near the goal line. So um, he's got plenty of targets in the red zone. He's got plenty of work in the red zone. Um, so this is a guy that they trust in that area. Now he could get vultured just because Gore has a nose occasionally for the end zone as well. And Allen can sneak it in from the one, but uh, I think he's a fine play. And and I think we want to take a look at Carlos Hyde as well, considering that the Bills have not been good against the run all year for as good as Buffalo has been in, in stopping the pass. Uh, they've struggled all year against the run. And if you're looking at game script, if you think that, you know, Houston is not going to have Will Fuller and it's going to be a fairly close game and they're going to have the lead, that's more volume and more opportunity for Carlos Hyde to help control tempo and possibly get upwards of 15 to 20 carries and, and red zone work because Duke Johnson is is likely not going to touch the ball around the red zone unless it's on third down. So I think you can look at both of those running backs and think to yourself, this might actually be a good play this week. I like it. Uh, before we make picks here, anybody interested in any tight ends on either of these teams, maybe as dart throws? I think in both cases, and we should just mention it from an injury perspective, uh, Jordan Aikens is currently questionable with, I believe it's a hamstring issue. Um, so if he's out, obviously that would elevate Darren Fells a little bit, but I mean, both these guys, you're just hoping they fall into the end zone. That's really all you're looking at. So not really for me personally. 
Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at Fells, he's, he's 3000 bucks on DraftKings. Um, if you wanted to take a little bit more of an easier dart throw, there's Kyle Rudolph sitting there who's had a good second half, especially in getting into the red zone at 3500 against New Orleans. And you know that Kirk Cousins is going to have to throw a bunch in this game. Janu Smith is, is 3800 Jacob Hollister, 4300 So there's, there's guys within that 1000 to 1500 range uh, ahead of somebody like Darren Fells, who you can probably feel a little bit better about taking a chance on. So uh, I'll probably be off tight ends in this matchup, unless I'm just going crazy with a Deshaun Watson, um, DeAndre Hopkins, um, Darren Fells stack, and then running it back <laughs> with Devin Singletary because I don't care anymore. You couldn't even say that with a straight face. Because it wasn't, there wasn't a straight face. Uh, well, I will say the uh, the direction of your little breakdown there tells me you might be favoring the Bills here. Uh, what's your pick, Ben? Uh, looking at the Vegas line, it is three. It's also moved occasionally to, to back to, to minus two and a half for Houston. Um, I, I think they hang on. It, it's a tough game to try and go ahead and get a read on. So, um if it's anything more than three, I'll take Buffalo. But if it's back to you know two and a half, I think Houston can probably win it on a field goal. A Kami Fairbairn field goal feels like uh, this will seal the deal. And of course, the total will probably push. So just one of those terrible games for betters from the very beginning where it's probably going to push all the way around. Bets? Yeah, I agree mostly. I think it is going to be a close game. I lean in these close matchups towards uh coaching and certainly bill o'brien is not the superior coach in this matchup i think they do enough to keep it close i do think that they can cover that field goal uh for, for me personally so i would go uh bills and at that price i might even just take some bills money line and see what happens there uh with plus money so that's where i'm going in this matchup yeah i actually would as well uh i have the bills but i would take the spread too i i think <laughs> I think they're going to win this one by, I don't know, five to seven points. Um, all right. That is one game. Down. Three more to go. Oh, I, oh. I got the heebie-jeebies for this next one, guys. It's the Titans at the Patriots. Ten years since the Patriots have been in the wild card round. And here we are. Because we couldn't close it out against Ryan, <laughs> son of a things I can't say on this podcast fits magic. Good gracious, oh boy! So, all right, we're, it's the Titans playing against the Patriots at home in the playoffs. Tom Brady. So there's that. On the other hand, these teams are trending in completely opposite directions, as we all know. Patriots since that Ravens loss have been on a pretty heavy downward spiral. Tom Brady struggling. The offensive weapons never on the same page. The running game has gotten going a little bit, so that I guess you can have some solace in that. Uh, even the most rock-solid piece of the entire team, Stephon Gilmore, has been struggling over the past two weeks. Meanwhile, on the Titans' side of the ball, you got the best quarterback in the NFL, apparently, uh, in Ryan Tannehill. you got the best running back in the NFL, apparently, in Derrick Henry. And you've got what's looking like one of the best receivers in the NFL in A.J. Brown. So there is a lot to unpack here. Ben, I'll kick it to you first. And let's let's start on what is probably the one of the most interesting questions, maybe not for fantasy, but we'll we'll spin into fantasy of these playoffs. What do you make of this Patriots off offense heading into this game? Just there's a, a lot of confusion, right? Like you kind of know what the basic bones is going to be. Like they're clearly going to try and go back and, and keep it as run oriented as possible, try and open up play action, 
throw the ball 15 times to Julian Edelman because Brady doesn't trust anybody else. Um, so if you're looking from a fantasy standpoint, I think Julian Edelman, especially with the reports coming out that he feels as good about his shoulder now as he has in weeks, uh, he's he's pretty much a lock button for me, especially in PPR formats for DFS. So uh, I'll have exposure everywhere to Julian Edelman just because I know that that's one guy Brady trusts. Uh, and I know that in the middle of the field that the Titans haven't been great at stopping the pass. Um, so I, I just like the target volume. I, I like everything about the matchup for Julian Edelman. But Tom Brady has not looked good. Like, let, let's be completely honest here. I, I just think it is a good matchup because Tennessee's secondary hasn't been impressive this year. And so I think Brady will be able to move the ball on them. Uh, we'll see whether or not it's going to be uh, the Sony Michelle show or James White or Rex Burkhead who got more involved in week 17. But uh, if there is one thing that I know, it's that there's going to be plenty of Brady to Edelman. Uh, and that's something that I can get behind from a fantasy standpoint. Uh, so I, I really liked where you went there. So I just had to go check real quick. I pulled up the highest targets in a single playoff game in, in the history of targets. And I was like, all right, what are the chances Edelman could could break this record? Because I totally agree with you. It's 26 by Michael Irvin in 1995. Oh, <laughs> I don't know how. So, be tough. yeah, I'll pass on that. If, they, if that's a prop, uh, Julian Edelman breaking playoff targets record passed. But I do 100% agree he will be the key cog in this offense. Betts, let's throw it over you. Let, let's go to the more exciting side of the ball because there's the Patriots offense is a hot mess. The Titans offense, however, all kinds of excitement here. Going up against, however, arguably the best defense in the league. Certainly one of the best defenses in this playoff picture. What's your temperature on these key guys over in Tennessee? Yeah, this is a really, really intriguing matchup. One that I'm super excited to watch because you kind of have a scenario where, you know, the default for a long time is just saying, okay, the Patriots take away your top option. Easy. Let's just stack the box. We'll take away Derrick Henry. But um, now we have this new offense for the, the Titans who are able to throw a lot and throw very well from uh, heavy run packages. So the offense looks like they're going to run the ball. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's AJ Brown, 50 yards on the sideline, finding the end zone uh, and making you very happy as a dynasty owner. So that's that's kind of one key discussion point. And I'd love to hear what you guys' thoughts are on that, of, of how they attack this offense from a, a defensive perspective for the Patriots. The other thing is, does Stefan Gilmore shadow AJ Brown? I think he does. And certainly that will depress his ownership, I think, in DFS. But with A.J. Brown, how efficient that offense is, I think they're going to surprise some people. I think that the Titans can move the ball against this defense for the Patriots, who, let's be honest, have looked pretty human uh, recently. You know, the, the first six months, or excuse me, six weeks of the year uh, were a mirage. They were playing no one. They had the, the easiest schedule. And now you see what they do against top 20 offenses. Um, they're 2-3 and three as far as win-loss record against top 20 offenses. We saw Deshaun Watson light them up um, down in Houston. And, and other examples as well. So I think they can actually move the ball pretty well here. I like A.J. Brown as a contrarian play because of the fact that they have to respect Derrick Henry so much. Ben, the Patriots defense, among its strengths and weaknesses, certainly the passing game is is a more of a strength than the run game. Right. How, how valuable is Derrick Henry to you? And I'm assuming his price is very high. Are you still willing to pay up for him? I have to think about it just because you know that from a volume perspective, he's going to get it. He's going to get the rock, you know, probably somewhere between 20 and 25 times per game. Um, that's been his average throughout the course of the season, regardless of game script. 
Um, you know, his lowest amount of carries on the season was 13, and that was in a loss at Carolina back in the beginning of November. But he still had a touchdown in that game. Uh, and he actually caught three passes in that game, which was sort of absurd for Derrick Henry as well. Uh, his price point is pretty high. He is 8,200 this week on DraftKings. That's ahead of Alvin Kamara. That's ahead of Dalvin Cook. Certainly, uh, you know, about 2,000. $200 more than Devin Singletary, who uh, Betts and I both really like this week as well. I-, I think you have to consider him just because you know that the volume is there. And a lot of times in DFS, we like to make sure that we have our exposure to running backs that are going to get the bulk of the volume. Um, but if you, it's all about how you, de- how you define and how you think the game script is going to go. If you think Tennessee is in this game from the, from the entire time, if you think they can hang with New England, if you think Derrick Henry is going to pound the rock, then absolutely he's worthy of a start, even against a tough uh, Patriots front seven. But if you think New England is able to take the ball away from the defensive side, force Ryan Tannehill into a couple of turnovers, then you go ahead and fade him if you think New England wins big. Uh, I just think of all the times to fade the Patriots uh, at home at Foxborough doesn't seem like that time. And I think the public is reacting pretty heavily to what they saw in week 17. It was an anomaly. And I know that the Patriots offense has not been good, but the Patriots defense has been pretty consistent throughout the year. And they've got had some letdowns against some really good quarterbacks. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, not necessarily being one of them. Uh, but I, I think they figure it out this week. I'll take Belichick over Vrabel. And I, I do think the Patriots can win and cover the spread. And so I'm probably going to fade Derrick Henry this week. Well, I was holding out, Ben, on you know my opinion of you and wh- whether or not we could be friends <laughs> and on things like this. That is all resolved now. Okay, we can be best friends. Uh, I'm a Patriots fan. In case you couldn't figure that out, um, it and took I took about took about three four seconds. Yeah, 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 yeah. To put that together. A terrible um, human being. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, true. Uh, I will. I will throw this question out. Uh, moving away from what you just talked about, kind of the, the main reasons to go to Derrick Henry uh, being the volume. Do you guys, uh, be, uh, Betts, I'll throw it to you first. Do you have any interest in the Patriots guys, namely a James White who typically tends to show up in the playoffs, a Sony Michelle who has been playing better, maybe a deep shot on a Rex Burkhead for a touchdown? Any interest in any of those guys at their price points? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I think your your question of whether or not I have interest really depends on what type of lineup I'm playing. In a cash lineup, no, not really, just because you don't really know what's going to happen between those three. You know, I, I hate to try to decipher any three-headed backfield, not only the Patriots. Now you look at um, a, t- a tournament perspective. I actually do kind of like Sonny Michelle. I think he's a nice pivot off of Derrick Henry, off of a popular um, probably Alvin Kamara type of play. So I think at his price, which I think is 4400 last time I, I checked on DraftKings, is a good salary saver. And if you want to play any lineups with a Drew Brees, Michael Thomas stack, um, you have to play some cheap guys. And I think Sonny Michelle, who over his last three games, the touch counts, 20, 22, 18. Ben just talked about how we like to chase the volume there. Uh, certainly, that is intriguing for sure. Yeah, I, I agree with I agree with Betts. 19, 21, and 18 carries over the past three weeks. Uh, and he's finally starting to get that average yards per carry up to above four, too. So um, I don't know whether you guys think that Michelle was just unhealthy for several weeks of the season or if he was just bad because uh, he wasn't moving the ball every time he touched it. Like it was, you know, two two yards, three yards cloud of dust. Um, and that's not going to get it done, especially when he was not necessarily efficient last year, but he was going to he was moving the ball uh, and they relied on him and he was a fairly consistent option. Um, 
but I, I, I do think Sony Michelle at 4,500 with that type of volume uh, in a game that they're favored by five, five and a half points certainly makes sense. And, and I do think Sony Michelle, especially if you're talking about that type of a stack, um, I, I do think he's cash game viable at that price. All right. Well, before we get to a pick, any other final sleepers, interesting props, anything else you guys want to throw out there? I'll say one thing real quick. If you're if you're looking for a dart throw, if you're looking for someone that is going to be very, very low owned, I think Nikhil Harry is sneaky, uh, a cheap option, $4,100. And just looking at like watching the Patriots play, like they're force feeding him touches, screens, uh, reverses, jet sweeps, etc. They're trying to manufacture ways to get him involved. Do I think it's a lock to have a great game? No, absolutely not. It could be, you know, two receptions for nine yards and one carry for eight. But uh, he's going to be in the single digits as far as percentage of ownership. And you look at uh, the way they're using him. Yeah, I, I think it's intriguing. He saw a season high seven targets in week 17. I, I think if I'm going to look at one prop, uh, maybe the, the over on receiving yards for Mohamed Sanu comes to mind. He, he just cleared the hurdle last week when I had him against Miami. I think it was about maybe 33, 34 yards. He got to 35 so I, I got lucky on that one. Uh, this week, I, I think it's around 28 and a half. Um, and it's against Tennessee, and their corner situation isn't necessarily better than Miami's, maybe a tad bit, even with Adoree Jackson coming back. So I, I think Mohamed Sanu is slowly starting to, to get back into this offense. I think he's starting to get healthy. Um, and, and that's, listen, they, they gave up a second rounder for him. If you're not going to take advantage of him now, when are they going to? So I think the the over on receiving yards for Mohamed Sanu, if it's at 28 and a half, which is where I'm seeing it, I, I think could be pretty good value. All right. I like it. Uh, uh, listen, I'll kick off the picks, guys, because there's no shame in admitting <laughs> that I'm taking the Patriots blindly. I don't care. Uh, no. I am thinking about it very carefully, and I think that it could be a very close game. But if I'm betting between very recent history, like, eight weeks of history versus 20 years of history of Bill Belichick and Tom Brady figuring it out, at least in this wild card round against the Titans at home, I'm going to take the Patriots. I don't think I would even take the points. It's going to be close, but I will take the Patriots. Yeah, I'll, I'll take the Patriots as well. I, it, as long as it stays sort of at that area, it has, the line really hasn't moved at all. It stayed at minus five. Um, and I'm of the belief that they can force Tannehill into a few turnovers. And that's been a defense that's been as good as any at forcing turnovers this year and, and taking advantage of them and turning them into points. Uh, so it will be close for a while, but Tannehill will make that one mistake. And then I think New England will, will pounce quickly. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I, I like the Patriots at home on Saturday night to, to go ahead and cover that spread at minus five. Yeah, we're going three for three. I'm also going with the Pats here. Uh, you know, you're, this is the time of year where people get reactionary and they look at what just happened, right? The Patriots just lost to the Dolphins. The Titans, they're they're the new hotness, right? A.J. Brown's uh, Okada's boy. Derrick Henry is running over everyone. Uh, but this is the type of matchup that the Patriots can take advantage of. I think they do cover that five-point spread. All righty. Let's head over to the NFC Sunday's games. Vikings at Saints kicks us off. Uh, probably the most lopsided, I would say, matchup here on the slate. Certainly Vegas thinks so. Um, but a lot of fantasy action to be had. So this should be a fun one. Um, let's kick it off with the quarterbacks because both of them are interesting. Uh, Drew Brees obviously coming off an incredible December, an incredible year in general. Uh, cementing himself as one of the greatest of all time. 
Meanwhile, you've got anti-primetime Kirk Cousins over there uh, who cannot win an important game for the life of him. Clearly, this is an important game. Uh, which do you guys prefer at their prices? Are you willing to start both? You're going to have different lineups with both. Uh, ben, I'll kick it over to you first. So I'm going to take an opportunity to defend the non-defendable Ooh. for just a second. All right. Like now, I'm not, I'm not coming on this show and saying that I would rather play Cousins over Drew Brees uh, because I'd like to come back on the show. I feel like I would like to you know, give some decent analysis and for only $500 more on DraftKings. Uh, I, I think Drew Brees is a very solid play. I think he's very much cash game viable uh, at home against Minnesota in the Superdome. But um, and I, I, this is something that I heard initially from from RJ Bell uh, in doing a radio hit this week because he was talking about everybody's narrative of Kirk Cousins, how he can't win the big game, and it was zero and eight in Monday Night Football. Um, and he sort of broke it down a little bit more and said that it's actually more about. 1 p.m. Eastern starts versus outside of 1 p.m. starts Hmm. Uh, that, you know, he's somebody that is very routine oriented. And there was a documentary that was sort of following him around and it was outside that window. And he was basically saying, yeah, I'm just sort of out of my comfort zone. Uh, And so I went to Pro Football Reference and I started to actually take a look at what the records indicated. So Kirk Cousins lifetime in 1 p.m. East Coast time starts. He's 35, 20 and one with a touchdown-interception ratio of almost 2.5 to 1. In games outside of 1 p.m. starts, he's 11-25-1, with a touchdown-interception ratio of 1.75 to 1. What time does Kirk Cousins play on uh, on Sunday, boys? Mm, that's a 1 p.m. start. 1 p.m. East Coast time. So I'm not saying that the Vikings are going to win the game. I'm not saying Kirk Cousins is going to light anybody up. I do, though, expect him to play better than most people would anticipate. So I don't hate the play of Cousins uh, at the quarterback spot if you're looking to save a little bit or you need 300 500 bucks here or there. He's certainly going to be under-owned because of that narrative, and I think we might be sleeping on him a little bit here. Ben, I actually love that call, man. I was going to say playing some stacks between he and Stefan Diggs, playing some stacks between he and Thielen, or even all three of those, uh, I love. I I think that's a great tournament approach because everyone's going to be on the Saints, right? And this is the highest over-under on the board. Uh, I saw it at 50 most recently. I think it started at 47 or 48 and a half and is going all the way up. So uh, certainly we expect more points. And if we're talking about game script where the Saints are favored by eight the last time I saw in theory, they're going to be throwing the ball a lot to catch up, and certainly we expect the Saints to put up a ton of points, forcing Kirk Cousins to Kirk Cousins to do this. Excuse me, and I kind of like your trend of looking at those 1 p.m. games because when you look at his uh, his numbers from inside a dome compared to outside, they're also equally as effective and right. equally um, as positive. So I do love Kirk Cousins as a sneaky kind of play. I don't think he's going to be very owned. Really, I I prefer Drew Brees, honestly, but I do think there is some value here in this offense, in this pass catching group, and in Kirk Cousins. I agree with you. Um. All right. I don't hate it. I like it. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I trust him to win for sure, but I I do think that he can produce, so I like it. Um. Let's head over to the running backs because we have a Dalvin Cook who is supposedly, according to himself, returning at one hundred percent full strength. Um, going up against a pretty solid run defense. And then on the other side, obviously, we've got Alvin Kamara. Uh, Betts, let's kick it over to you. 
tell me what you prefer here at the prices and tell me how how willing you are to throw Cook out there, especially considering how good he is, but how good this defense is. Yeah, I think for Cook, you know, you, you kind of talked about it with his health. I definitely am on board. I, I think he is close to 100%. We're looking at, you know, the SC joint injuries that he's been dealing with, and those typically have a recovery timeline for his specific case of what was going on of about a month and he hasn't played in the last two weeks and was also in and out of the lineup a few weeks before so he's definitely way healthier than he was a couple of weeks ago Uh, I think he sees a full workload the way he normally does um I think he's going to be okay like I prefer to play him in more of a cash lineup because at $7,800 you know he's going to touch the ball 20 times but this Saints defense on the ground is is very solid they're strong and my fear is that if the the Vikings don't put up points early and stay competitive I think they might have to abandon the run game early. Now, Dalvin Cook can obviously contribute in the screen game, in the passing game, so he's not like he's dead at that point. But to get his full ceiling, you will have to have this game be close. Obviously, Vegas doesn't expect it to be quite as close. So I'm a little bit worried about Dalvin Cook as far as a ceiling type of game, but in a cash lineup, I'm totally good playing him at that price. Those are all like really legitimate concerns that Betts brings up, especially on Dalvin Cook. But um, I, I think you go into this game knowing that the Saints have always been good all year long at stopping the run. Um, from Elliott Crist over at the Quan Edge, they've allowed the fewest rush attempts. Uh, they're 97th percentile in yards allowed and 87th percentile in rushing touchdowns per game. But you can incorporate Dalvin Cook into the passing game. And just based on how Minnesota has played all year long, even in the games without Dalvin Cook, they've needed their running backs. And they're all kind of the same guy, right? Like Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison, Mike Boone, they're powerful physical runners that can also catch passes in the backfield. And they use them to open up play action. Uh, And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know that Minnesota incorporated play action as much as any team in the NFL and did it on a very successful level. Uh, Because it just opens up everything for Kirk Cousins immensely, and they move the pocket around. Um, So I I still think Dalvin Cook can get plenty of opportunities in the passing game, even if they don't run him, you know, more than 15 times in this game. So I I think if you're looking at the running backs in this game, both Cook and Kamara are probably my two favorite on the slate. And it'll just be a matter of how I decide to use both of them or whether or not I'm going to just lock both of them in or try and have some variation uh, with some of the other cheaper guys and, and maybe Derrick Henry like we talked about before. Alrighty, solid. Obviously, lots of talent here. The running back position, also lots of talent at the receiving positions for both these teams. Let's do this as a bit of an exercise. Bets, I'll kick it over to you first. On a scale of one to ten, ten being the most excited and highest uh, likelihood to play. What, what, where do you put Thielen, Diggs, Michael Thomas, and anyone else you want to throw in there? The tight ends, if you want, as far as willingness and excitement to play, just. Run him down the line. Oh God, uh, <laughs> Michael Thomas is a ten. Okay, uh, that for seems sure. Fair. <laughs> I mean, the only the only negative is the price, right? Ninety three hundred dollars. He's the the most expensive player on the slate on DraftKings. But I mean, this could not be a better spot for Michael Thomas. I'm finding ways to jam him into my lineup and figure it out wherever I can at other spots, especially in cash. Like he and Drew Brees are going to smash this defense. Uh, the the cornerbacks are atrocious, and they just rolled out Mackenzie Alexander as well. So. I love Michael Thomas. He's a 10 for Stefan Diggs. As far as my confidence, I would put him at about a six or a seven Thielen's at about a four or five and Jared cook at the tight end position, $4,900. He's been white hot as of lately. And you're looking at a Minnesota defense. that's giving up the eighth most receptions to tight ends. Jared cook is this team's wide receiver too, uh, most weeks. So, Yes, I definitely will be playing him. He's at about an 8 or a 9 on the confidence scale. 
Alrighty, Ben, I won't make you do the whole list. I do have one specific <laughs> question, and then you can kind of just give me your, your thoughts on all the receivers. But Adam Thielen in particular, he feels like a guy who might not be very owned. Obviously, he's been uh, struggling since coming back from injury. You you talked about the fact that Vikings might throw a lot. Is there maybe some right. sneaky value in Adam Thielen having a breakout game after a rough second half of the season? Yeah, it's sneaky value, but it's sneaky in the sense that I don't think any of us can really predict it or see it coming. Like, he's had seven targets, you know, in, in two of the last three games. Um, it, just somebody that we just can't really rely on. Now, he was great to start off the year, but I think if you're looking at consistent volume, you know, Stefan Diggs has had no less than five targets, really, since if I'm looking at his game log, uh, going all the way back to um, early part of October. Like, he's still seeing plenty of targets in this offense, and that's been Kirk Cousins' first read. Um, you can go there with Thielen. I, I just, for, for $400 less on DraftKings, um, I just don't have the the stomach to be able to pull it off because I know that Diggs is the primary option. I know that they look towards Rudolph and Irv Smith's way in the red zone. Um, you know, Thielen was so great in the early part of the season. It's just been so long that maybe he could come out and impress. But I guess if there is one saving grace, is that if they line him up in the slot, that's been an area where the Saints have actually struggled quite a bit throughout the course of this year. They benched P.J. Thomas. Um, or PJ Williams, excuse me. So um, that that might be an area where I think you might be able to take advantage of them. So he is a dart throw for me, but certainly there is some upside there. Yeah, real quick, I, I definitely agree with that, Ben, for sure. I'm going to play at least one lineup that is uh, a Drew Brees, Michael Thomas stack, and then bring it back with Adam Thielen. Uh, I think that's a sneaky way to go in tournament settings for sure. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, high, like you guys talked about, high over under. Currently somewhere around 50, so this is certainly a game to target in fantasy. Uh, let let let's let's do the picks. We'll go around. I don't I don't really expect anyone to pick the Vikings, but just in case, bets. Uh, what are you going with here? Yeah, this is tough to pick against the spread. If this over under gets bet back down to anything below 49, I'm definitely in on the over. Uh, but I think for this, the the spread a full touchdown and an extra point eight. That's tough, man. I feel like the Vikings can at least keep it close. This offense is, I feel like, underrated in, in terms of this matchup. I think they can keep it close. I think they cover the spread, but certainly I expect the Saints to win. Here's my favorite Here's my favorite bet of the week, Ooh. and that's just a further indication that you guys should absolutely fade this. <laughs> I, I think this game is ripe for a teaser, uh, a two-team six-point teaser. Uh, because I do think Minnesota can hang around. I know that the Saints have an explosive offense, but I, I do think Minnesota will play well enough to, to make this an interesting game. So I think right now that the eight points feels like a little bit too much for the Saints. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tease this number to plus 14. So raise it up six points. That makes the, the Vikings a two touchdown underdog. And so that gives me a little bit of wiggle room there. And I'm going to tease it with the total going from 50 down to 44, which I think they can pretty easily hit. So give me the two-team teaser of Minnesota from plus 8 to plus 14, uh, and then round it out with the total going from 50 to 44, and then I'll take the over. One prop bet I that I also that really bet. like in this game, too, uh, I think this is an opportunity for Traquan Smith to break one deep. Uh, mm. I think his total is coming in at 20 and a half. Um, and so all he needs is just one big passing play, which you know Breeze or, or Taysom Hill is going to try him for. Uh, and so I think he should be able to catch one of them uh, to go over 20 yards. So uh, Traquan Smith, uh, take the over in receiving yards, uh, over 20 and a half. So those are, those are my bets for, uh, for Vikings and uh, for the Saints this week. 
Love it. And I love that teaser call. That's that's awesome. I think I'm going to go do that right now on my phone while you guys keep talking. <laughs> All right. Well, Betts, you no, may no not... No pressure now. No pressure. Now that you, he's actually Yeah, seriously. <laughs> you may not want to go just yet, Betts, because we are heading over to the Seahawks and the Eagles. Oh, boy. Oh, it is the birds. <laughs> bird on bird violence here. Um, a very, very interesting game, in my opinion. Obviously, potentially the most interesting part is that the Eagles are at home for this, despite having a far worse record. Because they won their division, and the Seahawks did not. Um, both teams destroyed by injury right now. Holy mackerel, it is a mess on both sides of the ball. Uh, Dwayne Brown, left tackle for the Seahawks, uh, not expected to go. Uh, obviously, both guys are, or both teams are missing receivers. The Eagles are mis- missing all of them and all the other ones that they signed after they lost all their original ones. Um, Seahawks, obviously, the running back situation is... Very interesting with Marshawn Lynch, Travis Homer. Oh, what a time to be alive! It man. really Thank was. God, beast mode back in the NFL. I cannot tell you how much hype there was in our re- little research department uh, cubicles when he scored that touchdown. When he literally jumped eighty feet into the air to score that touchdown, it was amazing. That was great. Um, yeah, but it, it, the secondary's banged up. There is a lot going on here. Ugh. Bets, I'll just let you start it wherever you want because this is your team. This is your game. What is the most interesting thing to you here in this matchup for DFS? Well, even just talking about this game, it makes my heart rate elevate at least 10 beats per minute and my hands are sweating. Uh, ben, I'm a, a huge Eagles fan, so I'm super nervous about this matchup. Uh, thankful and blessed to play in the same division as the Cowboys, <laughs> just giving it to us. But that is beside the point. We were talking DFS, and for this lineup, for this matchup, there's one play here that I am really excited about on the Eagles side of the ball, especially from a GPP perspective. $2,900, Josh Perkins, a very, very cheap tight end, one that is not going to be owned and essentially is operating as the new Dallas Goddard without Zach Ertz in the lineup. Obviously, Goddard elevates to the Zach Ertz role, and now Josh Perkins elevates to the Dallas Goddard role. Now, this is a huge point because if Ertz plays, this is not even worth talking about. You can skip forward in the podcast and end here. But if he is rolled out, which I think he will be, I mean, he's dealing with a lacerated kidney. It's not a toughness thing. It's not a matter of can he battle through it. It is legitimately a health concern. So I don't think Ertz plays despite the fact that he wants to. Uh, and if that happens, Josh Perkins at $2,900, I mean, he's running a ton of routes. He's playing um, almost as many snaps as Goddard because they have to play 12 personnel. They have to play two tight ends because of how many injuries there are. So I love that play. Definitely going to be a sneaky option, I think, in DFS, GPP type of formats. Ben, I'm liking this favorite play uh, method here on this game. So let's start with you with that. Any any curious, sneaky, or just, you know, chalky, but you really love it play here? Well, the, I mean, the, the chalk play from, from everybody is going to be Russell Wilson and, and Tyler Lockett against the, the Eagle secondary, who's just been torched. All year, Lockett is the deep threat. He's still the number one option, even with with DK Metcalf there and uh, ultimately how they want to use Jacob Hollister. So I think those are going to be the the two chalky options at quarterback and wide receiver, especially if you're zoning in on this game. But I I do love the Josh Perkins call, especially if you're punting a tight end. And you you have to make sure that Ertz is going to be out. But I'd be stunned, guys, at this point if Zach Ertz ends up playing. So if he ends up in the Goddard role, he got, uh, what, I think six targets four receptions for for 50 yards and a touchdown last week. So there is 
a sample size. I wouldn't say a quality sample size, but um, you know, he was involved. He played 58 out of 74 snaps last week against the giants. And um, you know, Seattle might be a tad bit better at stopping the tight end than, than New York, but uh, the Perkins call is really intriguing. Um, I do wonder about the running back situation for Philadelphia, uh, whether or not it's going to be a, a full on Miles Sanders. We're going to see what his injury status would indicate, but Boston Scott's price tag has gone way up, and that's coming off a three-touchdown game last week. And he's really, you know, come on strong uh, in the final part of the season, but um, he still only averaged uh, 2.8 yards per attempt last week, had 19 rushing attempts, 54 yards, and three touchdowns. And and the thing about Boston Scott is that he's more of a reception-type running back. It's a smaller guy, and so he got those red zone carries because Sanders really wasn't available. But the last four weeks he's seen an average of over six targets in the receiving game and caught no less than four catches. You know, the weird part is if you go back to that Cowboys game though, six catches for seven yards for Boston Scott, but all the other weeks it was seven catches for 39 yards or six catches for 69 yards or four catches for 84 yards. So he's another dynamic part of what they're doing with their running backs in the pass catching game. So um, I'll, I'll be very curious to see what ends up happening with Miles Sanders. If he's still questionable throughout the week, or if he ends up rule, getting uh, getting ruled out, then then Boston Scott at 5,800 is a bargain. But if Sanders plays, um, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I, I just don't know if he's necessarily the guy that I want to roll with this week. Uh, first of all, I'd just like to point out that my my a personal nickname for him is Boston B-Button Scott because of that spin move <laughs> that he did for no reason at the end yes. of that long run. I was hilarious. Uh, but Did you see what he tweeted? Mel, what did he tweet? He tweeted the internet lag there for a oh, second. Oh, yes, I did like see that. you get stuck and you accidentally hit the button. Yep, it's funny. <laughs> it was hilarious. Um, uh, but just to, just to speak to the injury real yeah. quick, um, with Miles Sanders, it is looking like he's going to go. Okay. Uh, I saw a report from a beat reporter, reporter I trust and said that the team is acting as if he is going to be healthy enough to play in this game. Now, what that means from a production standpoint and what that means from a usage standpoint, I mean, we know even a mild ankle sprain, um, you know, in the rehab field, like you're not going to recover in a week. Can you tape it up? Yes. Can you wear a brace? Yes. But lateral explosiveness is going to be affected. So I think it's one of those scenarios where I think they see what happens with Miles Sanders early. If he's effective, I think they keep feeding him and just keep doing what they've been doing for the last month. And if it doesn't work out the way it's supposed to, then I see them, you know, completely flip the script and go to Boston Scott. So it's it's kind of a risky play. Certainly, I'm staying away from Scott in any cash lineup. Uh, speaking of injury situations, Betts, uh, Ertz, you hit on it a little bit. If he is out, is Dallas Goddard your number one tight end on this slate? Yeah, he is. And I think he should be for anyone, but it's going to be super chalky. I mean... Uh, the price is good. It's $5,200. It's not that expensive on DraftKings. The Seahawks are essentially the Cardinals when it comes to playing the tight end. Uh, they are the only team uh, that is right behind them as far as teams we attack with tight ends. So yes, he is going to be mega chalk, but for, for a good reason. I mean, he's playing as the team's top receiving option without Ertz. And this defense is horrible against tight ends. Uh, also, we hit on Russell Wilson a little bit. Uh, ben mentioned uh, him and Tyler is one of the the number one you know lock duos here. What about Carson Wentz? This Seahawks defense certainly not what it has been in playoffs past. Not as necessarily as vulnerable as the Eagles secondary, but not good. Uh, Carson Wentz has been having a great last month. He has stepped up to carry the team. Do you guys have interest in him? Uh, rolling him out there in DFS with any props. Ben, uh, I'll throw it over to you. 
Why not? Yeah, Seattle's been an atrocious defense all year, and then they're going to be traveling cross-country uh, this week to go up against him. I know they had success against Wentz last time out, but um, I, I think he's in a great spot. It's just a question of whether or not you, you play him naked and don't uh, pair him up with anybody on the team. I think if you would play Wentz, the, the obvious play is to throw Dallas Goddard in your lineup or, or maybe uh, Perkins in the flex if you want to go that route. Uh, I'm just not sure whether or not you're going to go to somebody like Greg Ward or any of the other receiving options or, or Boston Scott or Miles Sanders. But uh, yeah, I, I think Carson Wentz, with all the injuries that Seattle has sustained and uh, their issues on the defensive side of the ball, I think he makes for a great play this week. All right. I like it. Uh, Betts, any last thoughts on this highly important to you game before we get to the picks? Oh, my gosh. Uh, no, I, I do like that Carson Wentz call. I mean, 40-plus pass attempts in seven straight games against this Seattle defense. Yeah, you could definitely you know do worse, obviously, than Carson Wentz. Uh, I think that's a great play as well. And then one more sleeper for me on the Seahawks side of the ball. David Moore is, is super cheap. He's a guy I've been trying to fit into lineups when I play Michael Thomas because of how cheap he is. Uh, let me look up his price real quick. $3,400 on DraftKings. Jerron Brown is not going to play in this game because of a knee issue. Malik Turner with a concussion is probably going to be out. So he's going to be the third wide receiver playing alongside DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Week 17 saw season highs in snaps and routes run. And now we're looking at uh, a defense in Philly who we don't even need to talk about. We know how bad they are in the secondary. So uh, David Moore, sneaky play, super cheap. I'll play him in a couple tournaments. Love it. Love that call. I like it. All right. Betts, we'll, we'll start it with you. This is the closest game on the slate right now. Uh, minus two to the Seahawks. Despite the fact that the Eagles are at home, I, I'm I'm just going to pretend that I'm asking you, not knowing your answer, which way are you going here? No, completely objectively speaking, I, I'll take the Eagles at home uh, in a game where they get points. Yes, definitely give me that. And the reason being, not even because I'm just a homer, <laughs> I like the Eagles, is honestly because of the fact that I think that this uh, this offense, this passing attack can really get after um, the Seahawks. And because, man, if I'm the Seahawks, I am letting Russell Wilson throw the ball 50 times, but they won't. They're going to try to run the ball with Marshawn Lynch. They're going to try to run the ball with Travis friggin' Homer against this Philly defense. So I take the superior coaching approach from the Eagles to not uh, lose or at least cover the, the spread here with going up against a team that's going to run the ball against one of the best run defenses in the league. Ben, you took my Patriots. Are you taking Betts' Eagles? I am. And by the way, before, I get, into the, before I get into the pick, I, I just looked at Travis Homer. He's 5,300 on DraftKings after one week. Like I, I just – yeah, I needed to do a double take nope. on that. I figured it'd be like forty. <laughs> I figured it'd be like forty four hundred, and like, all right, maybe I can sprinkle in a Travis Homer if I think he's going to get a uh, substantial role in the passing game. Fifty three hundred, nope, not going to happen. So of course, you know, he'll break the slate this week. But uh, I, I do like the Eagles as, as underdogs at home against the Seattle team that I think they can throw on and be effective with. Um, you know, it's just Seattle is so dependent on, on wanting to try and establish the run, even when the pieces aren't really there to do so. And we already saw that there was some some weird stuff going on. You, know, you had the delay of game that took out Marshawn Lynch at the goal line in, in week 17. Um, Seattle, for as good as Russell Wilson had been through the first 12, 13 weeks, he really has been fairly disappointing to close out the season. Um, 
you know, I, I just wonder whether or not something feels a little bit off and whether or not this, this Seattle team was a little bit more smoke and mirrors than we initially anticipated. And Philly, for all their flaws, still fought through it and, and closed the season out pretty strong. So, uh, you know, I, I, I tend to side with, with Vegas here. Uh, the public is all over Seattle. That's going to be the final game of the slate. So, you know, for anybody that's doing parlays and teasers, they're going to have a lot of exposure to Seattle. I tend to like to be on the book side here. So uh, Philadelphia right now at minus one and a half. Wouldn't surprise me if that number moves closer to minus two and a half, possibly even as high as uh, as plus three for Philadelphia at home with all the money that's likely going to be on Seattle. So if you want to take Philadelphia, my advice would be probably wait for a little bit closer to game time. But uh, if you like Seattle, maybe now's the time to go ahead and hop on. But I do like Philadelphia here. Yeah, I uh, I feel like this is kind of Titans Patriots light and people are not paying attention to the fact that the Seahawks have been trending in the wrong direction and the Eagles, despite their injuries, Doug Peterson has figured out how to get this team to play up to the highest level that they can. And I'm also going to take the Eagles here. Um, it's going to be close. Russell Wilson is definitely going to have a chance at a game-winning drive, but especially without his left tackle, if, if Brown doesn't play and the pass rush that the Eagles can put together, one place on the defense that they are actually strong, I think they can pull it out. I think we see the Eagles in the divisional round. Let's go. All righty. Uh, we saved the best for the last here on the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast. So we're going to we're gonna run through the defenses really quick because there's only eight of them. So you don't have a lot of options here. Uh, DFS defense strategy, guys. Uh, ben, we'll kick it over to you first. Do you have one? <laughs> who is it? Who are your targets? Are you staying away from anyone? What's your feeling here? Uh, if I can squeeze in the Patriots defense, I'm going to, because again, I, I think they're going to force some turnovers on Ryan Tannehill. Uh, we certainly know that he can come back to earth, uh, come postseason time on the road at Gillette. So, uh, they're reasonably priced. They're 3,400 and, and yes, not a lot of people love to spend up at defense, but, um, you know, I'm going to trust them, their ability to get to the quarterback, their ability to force turnovers. So I like them. And then, uh, if there's a cheap defense that I'd probably consider, um, it's probably Houston at 2,600 because I think it's a low-scoring game. Uh, Will Fuller likely not going to play, and so I think that's going to change how Houston changes their some, themselves up on offense. Um, but I do know that Josh Allen isn't afraid to throw a costly pick or, or turn it over or fumble. Um, so I, I think if I'm going to spend up, it's going to be New England. If I'm going to try and save, uh, I'll take Houston, who I believe is the third cheapest defense on the slate. All righty, yeah, Tannehill making his playoff debut. So against Bill Belichick, you could probably expect a turnover too. I like that call. Bets, how about you? Yeah, we talked about it a little bit with the Eagles and Seahawks game. I think the Eagles is a, a fine play, mostly from the perspective of I don't expect Seattle to put up a ton of points here because of their methodology, where they want to run the ball repeatedly, um, and the uh, excuse me, the Eagles can stop the run. So I think they're a safe bet. I don't think they have a lot of upside for tournament type of play. They're safe, but I think for a tournament type of upside, I agree with you. It's Patriots. You, you get them in there. Brian Tannehill, historically against Bill Belichick, has been atrocious. It's a different player this year, so we'll see. But certainly you could expect a Patriots defense to surge the way they did parts of the season. Alrighty, guys. Well, that was a very enjoyable show. Uh, ben, I, I think that you may want to stay on call because if the Patriots do manage to lose, I'm probably going to be uh, incapacitated for next week's podcast <laughs> and we may need you to come back on and help bets out. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a fun week, uh, weekend. 
I am not working on Saturday. It'll be my first time watching a Patriots game on television without being at work in two years. So that'll be fun. Uh, wow. I'm sure Betts nice. will be crying himself uh, crazy up into that Eagles game, which, of course, just has to this wait. This is true. Um, but it's going to be good. Uh, thank you guys all for listening. Ben, thank you for coming on. Uh, you can thank follow. Thank you guys. Yeah, absolutely. You can follow uh, him at Benny Heis, H-E-I-S, correct? That is correct. All right. On Twitter. Uh, anywhere else people can look for you or what you do or what you have done? Uh, yeah, they can go to YouTube. I think it's like youtube.com slash Benny Heiss is where you can find uh, a lot of the old video work that I was doing over at Fantasy Sports Markets. Some, some new live streams uh, are hosted there as well. And then also for those that uh, like sports media coverage uh, over at Awful Announcing, I'm also the host and executive producer uh, of the Awful Announcing podcast. So we should have uh, an, a good episode coming up. Uh, hopefully next week with either Reese Davis or Chris Fowler ahead of the College Football National Championship. Uh, and then all the podcasts, we've had some some great guests over on the last couple of years, some, some really big names in the sports media industry. Uh, so you guys can subscribe to that podcast right after you're done listening to this one. Ooh, big facts. Excellent plan of action there. Uh, and you can also follow Matthew Betts at the Fantasy PT. Betts, any last words heading into wildcard weekend? Uh, injury article goes up tonight, Ooh. so look for that on the site, uh, previewing everything for Zach Ertz, Miles Sanders, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, check that out. Good luck to everyone this weekend, and Ben, thank you so much, man, for coming on. A lot of fun, guys. Thanks for having me. Yep. Uh, until next week, until divisional round, we are the Red Shirts. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast. Hit us up on Twitter at RedShirtsFFPod and check out our website, RedShirtsFantasyFootball.com.